0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast.
1: I'm Scott. And I'm Jesse.
2: And I'm Julie from Forgotten Classics.
3: And this is Rick Jackson from Wonder Publishing Group and the Brain Plucker blog. Remember, Brain Plucker rhymes with... Uh, well, never mind. <laughs> Go ahead.
1: And the Science
0: Fiction Oral History Association. Yes. That's right. That is right. So welcome, everybody.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having
0: us. Oh, you bet. So,
3: <laughs> uh,
0: Jesse.
2: No one wants take to it from here. Scott is our moderator. I'm our moderator, <laughs> yeah.
0: So well, I should no tell you, on, on this book, um, I did not um, get completely through it. Um, I read the first hundred pages in print and then I tried to pick it up on the audio version and uh, didn't get completely through it. The book we're talking about today, by the way, is City of Dragons by Kelly Stanley. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, anyway, that's where I'm at. Um, How about everybody else? Finished it, no problem. Okay. I read it. It's up until 30 a.m. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I had to
3: uh, kind of rush through it in the last couple days, and I was listening to it on audio at work, and I realized I was getting short on time, so I went in my MP3 and I went into my settings and I went to the speed fast. <laughs> so she was talking like a so chipmunk through. <laughs> <laughs> so I did, uh, I did, I did listen to a few chapters that way, and then I decided, oh, this is insane, and I'm just going to listen to it at regular speed. But I did just finish it yesterday.
1: Uh, you know what's strange is I use double speed as well. <laughs> but that's because I was running out of time. And I thought, oh, my God, normally I would just listen normally, right? But I, I was listening at double speed, and I think, hey, this is really convenient. I can, I can read 20, 20 times more audiobooks if I just do them at triple speed.
0: <laughs> but, um,
1: uh, right near the end, I, 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 you know, I, I was really jarring at first when you're listening at double speed. What they do is they, they change the pitch down it's a uh, some algorithm that changes the pitch down and yet compresses the audio so that it goes faster but she, her voice the
0: narrator's voice pitch doesn't change yeah and that, so, that's like, on the ipods saying, and the iPhones it, right, it seems like yeah. what it what it does is never. it is it somehow detects uh silence and eliminates it no i'm not i'm
1: i think i think what they do is they just um change the pitch I mean you can do that right you can t- you can change the pitch and increase the speed because if there is a pause the pause is still there
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's just that it is uh reduced hmm. it's going twice as fast so you just um change the pitch i think
3: yeah they they have things that'll adjust my my mp3 player it's a sansa clip yeah and it's you know cheaper and a you know a smaller operating system or whatever is in it and you get the chipmunk effect. So if you like the chipmunks, I recommend the same. <laughs> wait,
1: but you know what was strange was even though it's the pitch is fixed, right? Uh, I thought at first the narration was terrible because uh, it's double speed, right? I thought, oh, this is way too fast. I'm not going to get used to it. And then I, I listened to that uh, it that way for maybe four hours, and right near the end, I thought, oh, wait, this is the end coming up. I better I better switch back, and I switched back, and it was incredibly oh, oh I yeah it's funny how
3: you get used to
1: something that. wrong boy <laughs> it was really bad and I, I i think you know i could probably do it at two times speed no problem mm-hmm. and just not as long as i don't switch back
3: you know i think it's okay to use for like non-fiction and you're just trying to get information mm. but of course it's going to affect the performance of a fictional book so i'm that I don't think I'd recommend people to speed it up for a fictional book normally.
2: Yeah. At that point I just get the book. Why? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's I crazy, the, I know.
3: <laughs> I do have the book, Julie. I'm holding
1: it in my hand. I, I, I know the
2: that's book. the reason I even got it from the library.
1: Hmm. Oh, you, you didn't you
2: about. about it.
1: You didn't <laughs> buy it, right? What? We sent you uh, the MP3s, right? Yes,
2: and then I and I'm sorry to say then I never listen to it i forgot really okay and i was really kicking myself this morning cuz i thought oh my gosh i can't compare the the spoken to the reading yeah so experience. everything you're
1: going to say about this book is now negated because we're only reading <laughs> audio book okay
2: I'm reading – but this author did not start off to read me the book. Kelly Stanley said, I'm going to write it down. So that's where I'm going. And I have to say, it was actually uh, extremely good for me in terms of I then went and found some Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett to read in terms of being able to fairly judge the City of Dragons book.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, um, I have a – I think it's a quote. It's on a Wikipedia entry, and there is a – (laughs) <laughs> it's a Wikipedia entry <coughs> excuse me, for Kelly Stanley, and it's got a footnote, um, which, you know, a uh, reference. But it says that she wanted to create a femme fatale as a hero, playing tribute to noir conventions, while at the same time challenging them. And... Um, that that could have been my problem with the book, um, and and I know hopefully Julie will touch on this too. Is I have absolutely no connection at all with um, noir fiction, so I I have no idea what she was playing against. Um, so you know that I completely missed anything that might have been I think a reference. Catholic, to Catholics should normally get it. Catholics should normally get noir no problem. <laughs> um, but
1: you're surrounded by Mormons, That's which true. means. You know, the only noir that w- could possibly happen would be in, in your personal life. Uh. <laughs> it's, and so well, if and,
2: and it's interesting because I was reading on Wikipedia this morning about hard-boiled crime fiction, and that's what I had been calling noir fiction. Hard-boiled crime fiction is Not unsentimental, anything. tough, portrayal of crime, violence, and sex. Noir tends to go from the victim's point of view. So you can't even call this noir. It would be the hard-boiled crime fiction kind of thing yeah, although but- she was quite a victim i'm sorry i just have to put that out there uh-huh. that was my problem with the book in terms of once i went and contrasted it with chandler and hammett especially although my reading is admittedly brief in them but i read an entire book of short stories of each to try and have a contrast is this uh this modern sentimentality that was the character was constantly you know, oh, my lost love. Oh, yes. my, all the time. And this whole um, – You
1: had a reason for all that drinking is what you're saying.
2: Well, and the cigarette smoking. Yes. Let's not forget that. Yeah, um, yes. and Smoke what it will really give you lung cancer. I had, to, I had well.
0: to buy some more patches because <laughs> – <laughs> And I'm an, I'm an ex-smoker, so uh, you know, I used the patches years ago and uh, – yeah, I had, no, I'm just joking. No don't need to buy more. But well, she but she it smoked really a mean, lot. She did smoke a lot. <laughs> brother. A lot.
2: Yeah, and, and her heels tapped quite a bit. Mm-hmm. She was constantly like tapping heels in the sidewalk. Sorry. It's okay. Yeah. I think it
3: is kind of interesting comparing what is different about this noir, or hard-boiled, whatever you choose to call it, and the traditional stuff from the 40s and 50s. This takes place. We haven't really talked about plot or setting, or yeah.
1: Anything. Let's do that.
3: Okay. Why don't you do it, Jesse?
1: Okay. Especially um, with the plot.
3: I'm, the plot <laughs> was just like. Oh. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I think I think the reason the plot is like that is uh, it can be fixed by one thing. I would say, but uh, let me let me tell you about the book first. Okay. So the book is set in 1940 in San Francisco uh, with a female private detective. Uh, who stumbles across a murder in Chinatown during, uh, I think it's New Year's Eve. And uh, she has a big backstory, which we get a lot of. And um, she also has this drive for justice. She's hard drinking, hard smoking, and uh, definitely into justice because nobody in this city cares except for her sort of thing. Um, And then we get, uh, I think there's a... It might be two other murders. There's an, at least one murder more. And then uh, she sets out to try and solve it. And I guess the novel takes place over a couple of months. Um, and that's basically it, like it. getting clo- too close to the end. That's it's, it's a It's a basic premise. It's a very simple, basic, old-fashioned murder, mystery, P.I.
2: Yeah, um, a guy drops premise. dead at her feet during a Chinatown festival, and she's going to find out why nobody cares
1: mm-hmm well we we know why nobody cares he's he's a Jap, right? nobody loves yeah, the Japs. yeah
2: but even the Japs don't seem to care much until she finds the right ones seems like
1: It's true yes. and then and then to find out why is the is <clears throat> a lot of the a lot of the plot yeah what were you going to say, Rick?
3: Well, I was thinking um comparing this to traditional noir mm-hmm. I would say one of the major differences is. Uh, I forgot what I was going to (laughs) say. No, I was going to say, genre fiction, typically in the 40s and 50s, and this is true of science fiction and of mystery fiction, is uh, there wasn't a lot of thought or a lot of work put into the characterization. And I think Kelly Stanley kind of took that and turned it upside down and put a lot of characterization into this character. Most definitely. And gave her a huge background and... It feels like we're right in the middle of this lady's career. Like uh, it sounds like there will be sequels, but I wouldn't. I would be surprised if there'll be many prequels too to when this story takes place. Because you can tell she's already had a long history. Um, what else did you guys notice that would be different than uh, traditional noir?
0: Well, again, uh, I don't have. I can't connect it with traditional noir. You know, the only thing that I have is like the Big Sleep, the movie. Um. But one of the things that I noticed about Miranda in what I did read is that she seemed modern to me in, yes. in some ways. And um, is that a typical noir? I think it's the
1: storytelling is, is mo- modern. The, okay. the setting is, is old, and I think it's fairly authentic. Um, Julie was uh, saying in a blog comment about, about – uh, or was it an email about the swearing and how you weren't sure it was authentic? I wasn't
2: sure. That was the interesting Research you came up with,
1: yeah. So I sent you some links to uh, the history of the F word and such. Um, yes, but the uh, I think I think it is a very I think you can't falter on her research. I didn't see anything that was inauthentic in in history, and I didn't see anything that was inauthentic in in um, uh, attitude. I mean, all the things that that are happening in San Francisco, or San Francisco were probably happening. I, I, I don't think, well, you know, um, I, what? I, I just don't think, I don't think we would have ever seen it in a contemporary book. You know, if there was a contemporary book.
2: Um, in fact, I thought that was one of her problems is that she went so far into so much detail every course. single time that you encountered anything new and uh, it was ex- that kind of was explained to me by her author's note afterward. I don't. Indeed. I am assuming the audiobook had that also. Yes, but it, it when she said these phone numbers are real phone numbers, these locations are real locations, and when I write about it, I construct a time machine. I listen to the music. Well, an editor should have gone in and said, "That's great, but we only need about half of it." I, You've I think established that all that
1: exactly what the problem with the book is is that it's way too long it's the same problem i have with almost every book it's way too long it has I, a ton of detail that actually distracts from the story
3: i would totally agree and that's why i think the plot got so complicated because you Indeed. had to fill mm-hmm. out a hundred thousand words or whatever the length was instead <laughs> of traditional noir would have been about fifty thousand words or you know, at least two, th- maybe two thirds of what that book Ex- was.
1: Uh, not, so we, not even that big, I would think.
3: What do you guys think yeah.
1: about
0: in um, details in historical fiction or in um, even like epic fantasy? I mean, we like those details in those kind of books, right? Well, I don't.
1: Mm-hmm. But well,
2: but you, you like, like
0: you like uh, like I, I was listening to Luke
1: Burge do the review of um, the first book of the um,
0: Game Storm of Swords.
1: Yeah, Game of Thrones. Um and he was saying exactly how I felt about it was, you know, it's just there's it's just too much detail, right? Oh, it's too much I, detail yeah. without I absolutely love uh, that, there's lots yeah. of plot. There's lots of plot, but there's not actually that much movement. Mm-hmm.
2: But when I compare it this morning again, I was thinking about this. One of my very favorite authors is Samuel Shellebarger. He wrote fantastic historical fiction about various different time periods. And he had to go into a certain amount of detail necessarily because we didn't know those time periods, the Spanish conquistadors, the Medici's in Italy, all that. But he did it so efficiently that it was both part of the story and it didn't just stand out where somebody's going, uh, you know, oh, there it was again. Of course, that's the sentimental thing that I objected to. How, how long to. would that but, book
1: though, have been, even though it's, it's a lot of detail?
2: It well, they would be about this long, but there really? was so much more story. There was a ton of story. I mean, this one, the uh, captain from Castile. You take the kid from uh, the Spanish Inquisition to the to going with Cortez to Mexico and being kicked out of Mexico to going back to redeeming his family's name. I mean, a lot of stuff happens. The the pieces of information that are put in there put you in place, and then everybody is kind of treated the way Chandler and Hammett would, which is. You already know this now. I don't have to describe it to you every time you walk in or every time you see one of these guys. I'm not going to tell you how he looked, how he was acting in period, etc. You've got it. Yes, it's on. not
1: the old-fashioned technique of uh, advertising for Chesterfields by repeating it over and over. It's, it's, yeah. it's you get your story out, and then you say, Chesterfield at the end, right? Yeah. But that is yeah. exactly maybe what's wrong with this book is that we do get the Chesterfield over and over again because we – we get the sense that she's hard-drinking and hard-smoking because we get it every page.
2: But, yeah, but she they, talks stuff. Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
3: But they really yeah. satisfy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I was asking I my husband. <laughs> I was like, are there 20, pa- 20 cigarettes in a pack? So that would make her like a two- or three-pack-a-day smoker. I know those were there. <laughs> no, that's
1: <absolutely but laughs> a good question from <laughs> Stanley. Because you would probably know. I have no idea. I, I assume Chesterfield's a real brand.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remembered that. But um, my other problem was, in my point of view, this modernization almost verged on chick lit, which I was looking up so I could define it. Because I'm assuming you guys haven't really read any chick lit. It's not my favorite. Yeah. Um, It's usually lighthearted and humorous, although it doesn't have to be. And it's women's fiction, which addresses issues of modern women. It's usually about women who can stand on their own two feet or learning to do so. And they're 20 to 30. And so that kind of almost crosses over like the scenes where, oh, like when she was she'd taken her shower and she's, you know. Examining and objective objectively looking at her features.
1: That was a, that was the worst part of the book, right there.
2: Oh, wasn't that awful? And then, how about this? I'm sorry, I just have to say it like this: the gunmen are watching you, and they're going to comment on your gams, your legs. I doubt it. That she said uh, that because she wanted to use that word. That's my opinion.
1: I, I I think a lot of the problems that this book has could be solved with a real editor. I I don't know who edited it. I agree. It. But I can tell you whoever they whoever they were, there from the you know the modern editing thing, which is you buy the book and then you sell it. And that's yeah. that's what you do. You might yeah. say, um, "Is this really true?" And then the author says, "Yes," and then they they say, "Okay, let's sell it." And it's like that's not editing because what an editor's job should be, I think, is you say, "What's wrong with the book?" You say, "This is what needs to be fixed because yeah. you're too close to it." You are a great researcher. You've written a wonderful book. you got lost in your world, but I'm coming at it from a dispassionate reader's point of view. And right. here's what's wrong with the book. First thing I would have done if I was the editor, not that I have any particular skill in this area, but number one change that would have made the book a thousand times better, make it first person. There's no reason for this mm-hmm. book to be told in third person other than to give description of, of every other her body language as well as everyone else's. Um, and I think, you know, that would have improved the whole book. Uh, you would have been able to follow the plot better. Her her emotional reactions are stunted, right? She's, she's like PTSD or whatever it is. Um, that might have been more difficult to write, you know, from the per, first-person perspective. It might be very uh, – I'm, I'm not – a writer myself, and of that kind, so I can't say whether writing first person is much harder than writing third. But I got to tell you, it would improve the book a whole lot.
2: Well, also the fact, your point about editing, I let's just say the editor was not really paying attention because page two oh one was suddenly. I, I finally said, I'm going to ignore some of these writing techniques that are driving me insane. That to mm-hmm. me read like a screenplay, which was these really these paragraphs just full of very sentence fragments, descriptive sentence fragments that you couldn't always connect with anything. Uh, And that would kind of jolt me out. And I said, no, I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to move on. And then I got to this page where all of a sudden, after saying it from Miranda, 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 it suddenly says, Rick leaned on the windowsill looking out into the San Francisco night. So there's a long description of that, of course. And then Rick stood and smoked and tried not to think about Miranda. And I was like, whoa, what, huh? Suddenly we know what Rick thinks. And then I couldn't find it just now, but later on, there's a whole paragraph from Rick's or somebody else's point of view. I think it was Rick again. And I just went, oh, this was written a different way. And they took all that out and they missed this or something. Because there's no reason for that to have happened. It's right. never told from anyone else's point of view. And that's when I went, oh, my gosh, did an editor even look at this or did they just run it through a spell check? This That's not fair to the author. You're just throwing her out there to the wolves at that hmm. point. You know, I I have to say I you know no, and that, I missed
1: that line orish, originally, but I'm looking at it now and um
2: Maybe reading I, it made it uh stand out more or something. Uh, I mean
1: I, I mean it's easy to lose the thread of this book because of all the, the third person switching around and I mean there is a there is a lot of detail that is not plot based. Right? Yeah. And I'm I'm not one who says you, you have to stick to the plot. Plot 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 plot. I'm not that kind of guy. But um a lot of it could have just been tightened up. You know, I I don't know why it has to be said over, over such a long period of time. Um, It it didn't, it didn't particularly feel it it needed it. And, you know, half the scenes where she's going to buy more booze have been cut out.
2: Well, have you, have any of you guys read Territory by Emma Bull? No.
1: no, no, no. Um,
2: I highly recommend it. it. It's a fantastic book and it's, It's set in the uh, tombstone, the Wyatt Earp days, and it's got a parallel. It's got a a, a magical sub-theme going on. But she does, I thought, such a wonderful job of setting that tone. You feel like you're in the Old West. She has descriptions. She's telling it from two people's point of view, which is very clearly delineated, easy to follow. But she was able to set the tone for that so you didn't forget you were in the Old West but you didn't need all this extra stuff. And I, I don't know, I had been thinking it was a fault between the authors. And now I'm wondering if it's just that Emma Bull has been blessed with a really wonderful editor, also. That, you know, because that's a team. Mm-hmm.
1: I think there, or, there are authors who, who can get away with no editor. And the reason they, they can get away with it is because they've, you know, had hundreds of books under their belt. Um, yeah. You know, Donald Westlake doesn't get a lot of editing anymore, right uh, one Lawrence block same story but if you if you compare just uh Scott, you heard um Julie's reading of they can only hang you twice
2: once
0: oh hang <laughs> they you can once? Only hang you once I don't Sorry. Call that.
2: <laughs> that's oh. too bad because he needed to be hung twice, yeah. but
0: um, Well, I.
1: Uh, sorry, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. sorry, that was me. A bad
2: story.
1: <laughs> sorry. No, no, I. I mean, my me calling it twice.
2: Oh well, that's it, all right. That, it's a short story. It's, it's
1: right. Um. In any case, um. One one parallel between the two books, and it it does show that she is a big fan of of this style of writing. Is is are those clipped sentences that, you know, they don't have a the at the beginning, or an ah, right? It's just. It's, it it's it's if you listen to Sam Spade talk he, he's very uh streamlined he doesn't he doesn't waste any words and uh that makes it it makes it a uh a certain style and you do feel that in this book but well, on the other hand you also don't get the plot as as a breakneck right mm-hmm. as in that story
2: right well, also, I was looking because I was thinking, am I being unfair and not liking all these clipped sentences or sentence fragments? And I thought, but they only do it every so often for a certain effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually once the story's been a little established, it doesn't just throw you in there the way that third paragraph of her book did, which I had to read it three or four times, and I never do because I was like, what is going on?
0: Yeah, and you, it was. Uh, you you'd kind of use this book as a jumping off point to look at some of the, what, Dashiell Hammett. I see that you, on your Forgotten Classics podcast, you did a Dashiell Hammett short story. And uh, Yeah, and
2: I'm going to do Raymond Chandler this week.
0: Oh, great. Okay. Which uh, story?
2: He's got more of that style that she likes, but I was thinking, I was wondering, because I was comparing it, to, like you did, to movies, mm-hmm. and I thought, I wonder if she's also taking that into effect and the problem is, is you can get away with a lot when you're showing a picture that you cannot get away with in a book mm-hmm. and yeah. I think because the, the plot was already known to the people who were reading this book or something because again that third paragraph where it's um, help the Chinese fight Japan put a dollar in the rice bowl feed starving war torn China buy me a drink sister it's the Chinese New Year don't remember who they're fighting sister they all look alike to me and I was like what the what? I, what does that mean? I, I don't know what's going on. What am I missing?
1: Yeah, who's I who, up. where Where is this? Oh no, I think I think it's not completely unacceptable. It's a style. Um, and because well, because it's a we're, we're getting a very strange omniscient point of view. Um, we're getting sort of her version of an omniscient point of view, as in Miranda's version of an omniscient point of view. Uh, it's it's almost yeah, as but as I Miranda don't know wrote the story. And she didn't want to write it first person because she's giving us the flavor, right? She's giving us the flavor. Yeah, but I don't What's know what happening. that
2: means. If if you're giving me the flavor, shouldn't you give me some reference? Signs in the signs in the window, shop windows help the Chinese fight Japan. Could could I've had three more words to tell me what the heck they're talking about?
1: Yeah, I, I mean I, I get it. I
2: you know what it. I'm saying.
1: I do. Yes. And, and that, we'll not, that, that's not that's not the that. only um that is not the only time that sort of language appears. You're right. It it comes fairly often. It's maybe 20 times in the book that we get a little paragraph. Yeah. That gives us a I could
2: take language. it later. I was used to it, but
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um I was unhappy. You know, a, a different font might have helped. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, no, just no something. for that for that section, you know, just change it up.
2: Yeah. Italic or something. I mean, if you're thinking of
1: if you've seen uh, uh, the next the next book we're gonna do, uh, which everyone should love because it's uh, it's supposed to be the greatest <laughs> book ever, right?
2: <laughs> Alfred um, Bester.
1: Alfred Bester, um, uh, the not star's Demolished my Man. The other one. The stars my destination. The stars my destination. I know. Okay, uh, I, I assume it's going to do something similar to what what the previous one I read of his, the uh, Demolished Man, did with text. It it says i'm going to do something innovative and it and it really does uh, it uses the, text mm-hmm. of the page as a way to tell the story you know changing the font and changing the um, the uh, orientation of the letters and such and it may be possible mm-hmm.
3: yeah it definitely does definitely oh it does? does do that and okay. that's always kind of a how do you how do you translate that to an audio book without going into like the wrong audio drama Question. I don't really know, especially what well, he does. Like a little, uh, it's almost like an image the way he lays out the text. You know? Yeah, an I think there's one of, that's hey, a sort of a really crossword turns, puzzle.
1: It's like um, uh, yeah. some conversation between telepaths, and there's it's like a intersecting crossword puzzle. So you can you can follow it, but I, I'm not sure how you. Yeah, know. isn't there
3: like a like a view of a house too, where the words so are <laughs> Of the house, and you're, like, overhead yeah. a, like, a map of the house. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I was wondering what you guys thought of her treatment of racism in the, uh, book. I thought it was <laughs> that authentic. That was going to be my next point.
1: I thought, was, uh, I thought it was authentic.
3: I thought that was... Yeah, I mean, it's compared to the, the old noir, which would either have, like, the yellow peril, which I know Jesse had a podcast about that, and, um... Just ignoring it, I think, is what most of the old noir was. I mean, if you had a black character or different yeah. nationality. They were just the butler, and they were in and out of the scene just like that. Most of the time, they're not even in the scene. Even the, you know, the lower-class people are just white trash-type people. There's no other races in most of those old stories. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is... This well, is except um, for, I
1: think I like... Love- I like that the the plot, when it is eventually revealed, um, we get we get uh, sort of an authentic to the time story. It's not a um, it's not just a drop into any old place. You know, this story should be set at the time it's set. Whereas a lot of them uh, yeah. style could have been set any time, anywhere. Um, this one feels like you know it's a San Francisco well, story I- in 1940.
2: Definitely. Now, I was one, I just wanted to say one thing about the racism, except for Miranda, who's yeah. so modern and how she looks at everything. And I understand, I get it, but you know, if we're going to be authentic about everything else, could we at least tone it down instead of these, you know? And then I thought about the peril of whatever, you know. It, it wasn't exactly that bad, but that's how I felt after a while. Anytime I saw some new nationality come along, I was mentally rolling my eyes, going, "Okay, let's have the modern politically correct view of it." So we know you're a good person.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I mean, there uh, were good people back that's then, a but uh, I'll. I'll just, what her, didn't bother but. me so much about her, her being you know, nice to nice to all the the diaspora of people there. Um, what, what I thought was unrealistic was she's a, she's a male private investigator, and she spends a lot of money. She, she spreads a lot of money. I
2: know, right? Um, yeah. now,
1: I know she's on an expense account, but even so, she is, she is giving people tips li- right and left.
2: I wondered about that, too. She always had cash on the end. Yeah, and all those
3: cigarettes she bought, you'd think she'd be broke.
1: Well, no, cigarettes were really cheap back then, right?
2: Well, I was going to say that it's not that I, I don't care that she's nice to everybody. It's that she um, she judges everyone else.
1: She does judge. And they're
2: not niceness. She's very judgmental yeah. about that, and that's the part that I'm like, if people were nice That's to that be at,
1: hard-boiled, though, right? All right. Hello. Her, her, her attitude is that nobody's no, Without
2: but all she, that time spent about it, maybe.
1: It, it, it could have been done in two scenes and not in 15 or however many times it happened.
2: Yeah, well, that, was, that was the thing. I was like, you know, you kind of... Go
3: ahead. Hey, did you guys like the character of Miranda, the main protagonist?
0: No. No? She wasn't Lauren Bacall.
3: No. <laughs> That's for sure.
2: She She's was uh, angsty too, for me.
3: Yes. Very angsty. That's a good word for it. It's <laughs> had a word, angsty. <laughs> <laughs> if
2: it isn't, let's make it one.
3: Yeah, it is now. Um, I found myself caring about her at times, and then other times it's just like, come on, get on with it. And, you know, I don't, <laughs> don't want to hear your backstory anymore. Keep going.
1: <laughs> I-, I thought the backstory was really good. I thought it was a really good backstory, but... You're right. It 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 interferes with the story. It interferes with the story. See, um, and it, it it justifies her sort of you know her situation. She's she's
2: mm-hmm.
1: signing for her Johnny, who obviously is dead or worse. Yeah. Um. But uh, I I don't know. I don't know if uh, you know. Alcohol. Her way father to
2: go. was a jerk, so sorry. she has men issues. Yeah.
1: She should. She should definitely not be drinking so much. Um, and I here's one thing I didn't quite get. Why is she? Uh, she's got. She's got multiple backstories. She's got. She is, uh, private eye. Which I, I think you know I I would like to know if there were any female private investigators in 1940 San Francisco. I I would Ooh, money, I that. would bet money there wasn't. Um, yeah, and not I agree. Because Women are not capable, but probably because there's some law against it, is my guess. <laughs> um, not, not to say I, I, don't, I don't think know, anyone would have capable. given
2: them the chance. Well. well, yeah,
1: it's like, can you take it? Can you just uh, take take it, or can you not? I mean, the Pinkerton that shows up in the story, right? Uh, Pinkerton mm-hmm. were were, and I think they're still around. Um, they do dominate mm-hmm. a lot of that market, and I can't see them. Hiring uh, a female private investigator. How did she get started in this? We don't really, we don't get it all that clear. And then we also have another question. She's also supposed to be an escort at some point in her past. And I thought That's, escort. That sounds very modern, right? Um,
2: right.
1: Uh, we have a B girl. There's a B girl mentioned, and obviously, uh, I assume B girls no longer exist. Um, right. B
3: girls um, don't exist.
1: Okay. Don't think
3: Rick? Heard that <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I was wondering to what level of an escort she was, because she was yeah. describing escorts as...
2: Oh, I thought it I was pretty sure. clear she was a complete escort. To me, the okay, well, so way that sure
3: Was, like, she, was- she always serviced them, then, or if it was just uh, sometimes she had to, or... Because she I did work for it was- Diane and other girls were like that. So I guess I was assuming she was too, but it wasn't really that explicit to me.
2: I just figured since she was like, you were always the best. And, um, I just figured it was like a high level courtesan kind of the situation.
1: Yeah. It, make, it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, that, you know, she, she could have that kind of, uh, hard boiled attitude having come through, uh, a war and, uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, losing her, Johnny made her turn to uh, prostitution. Okay, I could buy that. But then suddenly, also he her father, her uh,
2: father, her father was important too. Oh yeah, he made okay. her hate men first.
1: He turns up. He turns up later, right? In the book? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um,
2: so that's part of her backstory, also.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um.
2: This poor kid's got everything against her.
1: Okay, so we're, we've been slamming on this book pretty hard. Let's. Let's talk about alternatives. Scott hasn't read a lot of uh, other, uh, I guess, hard-boiled, flash-noir Yeah, you, books.
0: you've uh, been kind of pushing me towards that area, you know, since we've known each other, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have become a fan of Donald Westlake. But oh, he's is wonderful. that the same... Would you call that noir as well? No, no. Okay, so that's like a, a just... It's just mystery. He's, no, you know what? He's, he's crime. Okay, crime. Okay, I yeah, and I, I do enjoy that. But I haven't read anything. I haven't read any Hammett, but I can't wait to listen to Julie's podcast, and I'm looking forward oh, to listening you. to Chandler as well. So,
1: yeah.
0: but I haven't read I- anything like that. Um, and those guys wrote in the 40s. Is that correct? Uh, or earlier?
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah,
2: a lot of times it was right after World War One and between one and two. Even I think. Mm-hmm. Also, would you say a modern one? modern noir or, you know, whatever we want to call it would be, something like, what about like the Travis McGee stories?
1: Well, Travis Have y'all read those? I, I, kind I of listened thing? to the abridged audiobooks back in the late 80s. They were really fun. But um, I'm they're not kind sure... Of a modern... they're, they're They're not exactly hard-boiled, and they're not definitely not noir.
2: But they're... They're more like the Parker books, I guess. Uh, you know, The Heart of Gold... More modern man, I guess.
1: It's true. It's true. It's they, true. They're it's definitely true. In, the, in the spectrum. Um, one of the guys I wanted to talk to talk about was uh, Ross McDonald.
2: Anybody read Oh, Ross gosh, yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. What,
3: what did uh, you say, Rick? Well, I was going to tell you guys that as a publisher, I am publishing a lot of this stuff, including uh. Ross McDonald. Yay. Including, uh, I'm trying to, I just sent you one link for a Lionel White novel. Did that come through, yes. you guys?
1: Yeah, "Hostage for a Hood." Yeah, and that's those under types? your your
3: Noir Master series, right? Mm. And I have a lot of stuff from the 50s and early 60s that I've been publishing that were paperback originals for like uh, Gold Medal books and Dell books and those type of uh, publishing companies of the day. Mm-hmm. They're mass- and they're they're just wonderful books. Um, I'm also currently working on oh here's one I should send you it's uh me copy my link here um, I'm working on something called Noir Masters, an anthology which has just a ton of uh, actually it's going to be in three volumes and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. having it proofread right now that and good. Uh, yeah it's just a variety of those authors so you can kind of sample those kind of authors of. Uh,
2: what a good idea books.
1: Hey, um, uh, speaking, I, I don't want to change topics, but I, I wanted to mention, my mom's got an iPad, and she loves it. She thinks it's the greatest thing ever. Wow. And said, uh, uh said, what's, what's so great about it, Mom? And she said, "She said oh, I love reading books on it. And I said, oh, hmm. Um, Rick, when are your uh, books coming to iPad?
3: Um, there's currently about 10 titles oh, that good. are on iPad. So they're getting out there. I have a... a God, I don't even know how many titles I have now. Like 140 titles in ebooks. books so Wow, is, good for you. Yeah, so 10 is just the start, but uh, they're getting out there. I'm cranking out a few every week to get on the iPad. So, That's uh, the
1: double cross I've read. That's by Lawrence Block. I've read that, and it's a good book. It's, um, it's a, one of his, his few PI books uh, that aren't yeah. um, in... I Actually, I think it is part of a series, but maybe a very I, short I, series.
3: I think it's the only one, but I'm not sure. It's possible.
1: It's possible. But
3: yeah, I would say it's enjoyable. No, Ed London.
1: There, there are some other Ed London stories. Yeah. Okay. It's just um, I think maybe there's only one novel. Um, yeah. It, okay, but getting back to Ross McDonald, I, I want to tell you, I discovered Ross McDonald uh, on Blackstone Audio, I uh, I guess in the late 90s, and I, I picked it up because it was cheap. I, I got a, one of those $5 sales or $10 sales or whatever it was. And I started... Eating them really, you know, they're really addictive, and they're all exactly the same. They have, um, they have a uh, private eye working the, working the California uh, coast, usually finding family members, uh, missing family members for rich Californians, mm-hmm. and uh, just really compelling writing, really mm-hmm. compelling storytelling, uh, very compact uh, in in every way uh, in it. You know we're getting a story we're getting a a, a little bit of character um, but we're getting no you know it feels like a polished finished writer and he was you know competing he's sort of a little down my list of writers who I'd automatically pick up the book and start reading um you know I've got Donald Wesley got Lawrence block and uh- Do- and Ross MacDonald okay, I'll pick up a Ross Mcdonald and uh, it was kind of like John D. McDonald was up there too. But, yeah. Um if if we're talking noir, um there's not a lot of people who come to mind other than Jim Thompson and I think Rick you have a Jim Thompson out there don't you?
3: Yes, I got uh Nothing More Than Murder. Mm-hmm. Uh one of his early novels and I also have a short story called Forever After and hang on a second guys my power is going out on, on my computer I'm not sure why.
1: Yes, so I'm um, right, looking at his Ross McDon- – yeah. we've got a Ross McDonald called Midnight Blue, which is a Lou Archer mystery. Now, do mm-hmm. um, you guys know about
3: Lou Archer? No, I
2: do, and I haven't – I'm so glad you brought this up because I'd read him so long ago, and I'd forgotten. i got to revisit all that.
3: Well, I haven't – I have more than that one, too, for Lou Archer, but I can't remember. Oh, The Imaginary Blonde. And, but there, you know, I have like there. It's a short story. There's three or four short stories I have by Ross McDonald. And let's see who else would be a good noir writer?
2: Can I well, ask? Sure
1: Lou is a. Oh. I'm not sure Lou Archer series is is noir. It's dark, but I don't think it's noir. I, I think you can't have a series that's noir. I think this is the argument uh, someone made that I picked up and said is mine, is that. It's impossible for uh, noir to be a series because, at the end of a noir, the main character is dead, right? It's, no, it's no. Almost like Fatal Attraction. an in, in, unsentimental,
2: agree. tough portrayal of crime, violence, and sex. They don't have to be dead. That's the movies you're thinking about, not the no, books. No,
1: not exactly. I'm thinking um, think Jim so. Thompson. Okay, if you if you've read The Killer Inside Me, um, this is about a uh, an insane policeman. Who, it, it just you know, almost he's almost like on a rampage, right? But it's very calculated and and you know instinctual, an instinctual uh, horrific long rampage, um, and he's telling you his story. You know, it starts with a line, um, uh, something along the lines of uh, you know the man walked in and said something, and and then the, the line is, and I knew I had to destroy him. And then that's what he does. He, you know, takes him out in the woods or and kills him or something like well, that. It's, it's, but what about
3: Sam Spade? I yeah, I don't think that's always the plot line, but there is like a subgenre of noir maybe where there's a, maybe it starts out morally ambivalent character, and then he goes over to the dark side, and you see his descent into hell, which is one of my favorite kinds. I
2: mean, go ahead
3: I was
1: just going to say, what about uh, James M. Kane? There's, there's a very good case of uh, noir. It's not just hard boiled; it's also noir. Uh, you've got Double Indemnity, right? This is a, this is uh you know, a man going over to the dark side, and he pays for it. And yes, yeah. there's a movie version, yeah. but I'm talking about the yeah. book, which is a, one of the greatest books ever.
2: Um, and, and who's then, the author?
1: Oh, James. Uh, not James M. Kane. Yeah, James M. Yeah, right. Kane. Okay. Jim Thompson, James M. Cain.
3: Yeah. Uh, Postman always rings twice. Postman just... always
1: rings twice.
3: Um, that's another good example of the Even Milton
1: just... Pierce is, is uh, uh, you know, you watch the movie and it looks like a domestic drama, but really it's noir.
2: <laughs> yeah, but that does I have to agree with Rick. Just because you're picking out the examples that do that and that makes you think of noir, that doesn't mean that's all there is because... You have Sam Spade. Okay, come on. These he's are the people noir. who invented the genre.
1: He's hardboiled. Huh? He's hard. He's not noir. I,
2: I think, yeah, but noir I think. is not about the detective; it's about the victim.
1: Yes, but he's yes. not. Uh, he's not. Um, okay, so uh, the, the the prototypical example of what looks like hardboiled but is actually noir is the movie Chinatown. And I know this is a movie, but it, oh, I hate it is that
3: movie. really me too. What? Oh, thank you. worst
2: ending ever? Best ending ever. No. Ending ever.
3: No. Most
2: no. And I didn't ending like ever. the dialogue. Oh my gosh. Oh, I most hated it. Most
1: depressing ending ever. And that's why it's so awesome. Yeah.
2: Okay. Oh no, the most depressing <laughs> ending ever. I have to go with uh, Sunset Boulevard.
1: That's pretty depressing too. And Aaron, Oh, I love it. That. It's it's great. but, but it's, I think That's probably I mean, not
2: noir, but it's so close. Come on.
1: It, no, I think it is noir. Yeah. <laughs> it's not hard boiled. I think it's noir.
2: I, yeah, I it's. Think, uh, I think, uh, oh. think hard is
3: a sub.
1: Mickey Spillane. Okay. That's hard boiled.
2: What about um like Perry the Perry Mason books? Are those just out of it altogether?
3: Yeah, I, I would say so. So yeah.
2: Or Shell Scott? The I think that's Scott, Richard I Prather. Ah, so.
3: uh, Richard? Huh? Uh, Shell Shell Scott. I would uh, put it as hard boiled.
2: Don't, don't you think? I mean, some yeah. of those lines, oh, oh yeah. my gosh.
3: It's kind of very derivative of uh, Mickey Spillane.
2: Well, yeah, I can't help it. I mean, i said
3: one's derivative the second. other.
1: Speaking yeah. of derivative, derivative before, before we go too far, I wanted to point out, uh, you know, you guys know Lou Archer, right? We, this is the character yes. by Ross McDonald. What you may not know is that um, the, this is from the Wikipedia entry, and I thought this was really cool. Uh, initially Lou Archer was uh, similar if not to completely derivative of Philip Marlowe. Um however Oh yeah. Um you know he's he's derivative you know he's uh he's written by a different author right? But the the imp- important part is that Lou Archer is the dead partner of Philip Marlowe. Right. Right. Oh okay I guess That's
2: interesting. We'll do that.
1: <laughs> oh well. I thought, that, <laughs> I thought that was good. I, I, it's like an no. alternate universe uh, of each other, you know. Philip <laughs> Marlowe's dead and Ar- Lou Archer doesn't care. <laughs> so what's
2: kind of interesting, interesting, interesting to me, having the read these short partner, stories. Partner,
1: you got to <laughs> care whether you like them or not.
3: There is well, a, gonna... a movie called Go ahead. Harper. There's a movie, Paul Newman yeah. movie oh, called Harper, okay, which yeah. is a is a Lou Archer book based on a Lou Archer book. But they called it Harper because Paul Newman was having a string of hits with movies that started with H. <laughs> <that we're
2: laughs> sure. Oh, Hollywood.
0: Oh. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com